the mountain. Good to be together today. Welcome to Mountain Christian Church. We are a church that gathers all throughout the week, all over the place, in all kinds of different ways. But on the weekend, in three places at our Bel Air campus, our Edgewood campus, and right here at our Mountain Road campus. I'm Nathan. I'm one of the pastors, but of course, I need no introduction because I'm kind of famous. Um, I know that you have been seeing me for five straight weeks up here every week on the big screen. And some of you are like, no, like Ben preached and Ethan preached and Luke preached and like, no, we haven't. And I'm telling you, you've seen me up here every week. And here's why. I, you're looking at Mr. Love Handles himself. That's me. I'm not only a pastor, I'm also a model. When we shot that, it was actually, I promised, my second professional modeling gig of the week. That's a story for another day. It's also the second one in my life. But anyway, you can uh, contact my agent for booking. And uh, I promise to keep you all posted on my new side career. Get it? Side career. See what I did there? If you like basketball, you know that Jerry West is, he's a great player and executive. He's known as the logo because it's his silhouette on the NBA logo. Well, what Jerry West is to the NBA, I am to the Love Handles sermon series. So I got that going for me, which is nice. Um, now, I really think I was a great choice for this, maybe for a different reason. We, we're using this image to illustrate, kind of to be a jumping off point for the fact that we all have things in our lives that are out of shape, not just physical things. We all have these uh, ongoing struggles that kind of weigh us down or hold us back. Maybe things that, that cause us some shame, that we try to hide from God or hide from each other. You know, and I definitely have things like that in my life. And so do you, even you skinny people. You know, one of the, uh, one of the love handles in many of our lives is this thing called divorce. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how to get a grip on divorce. My own life has been touched by divorce. I have not been divorced, thankfully, but if you'd have told me a few years ago, um, at age 35, how many of my friends and peers would have already been married and divorced, I, w- I wouldn't have believed you. I, I would have been shocked. I am a child of divorce. My parents got divorced when I was in high school. I shared some of that story in a sermon back during our Torn series, and I invite you to go back and check that out if you'd like. I also know that many of you uh, have been through divorce in one way or another. If we extend the circle a little bit, uh, to include those who maybe have had a child go through divorce or a sibling or a, or a close friend. Really, I think it's safe to say that this is something that touches almost every life uh, in, that in the, within the hearing of my voice. You know, you, uh, you have probably, in one way or another, seen it up close and experienced some of the pain of it. And so the statistics you know, corroborate this. It's everywhere. Divorce is everywhere. And so we have to talk about it. We need to ask, what does God say about it? What is the proper Christian response to it? How can we get a grip on divorce? And to help us with that task today, we asked some of our friends, Rob and Cindy Arsenal, to, to be interviewed. Many of you know Rob. He leads our men's ministry and our welcome ministry here. Cindy, Cindy is usually happy to kind of fly under the radar a little more, but we talked him into getting on the big screen, and I'm so thankful that we did because they're going to share now with us uh, some of their stories. So let's take a look at the screen. Hi, I'm Rob Arsenault, and this is my wife, Cindy. We'll celebrate 16 years of marriage this November. I was previously married for 10 years and had three daughters. I also was married for 10 years and had a son and a daughter. 
And uh, after three years of being a single parent, Rob and I met and got married, and we have Morgan together, so baby made six. Sometimes people look at our lives and see a happy marriage and think that divorce might be the best option for them. But we're here today to tell you it wasn't easy and our journey's been a long and difficult road. Our lives were totally changed almost two decades ago uh, after suffering and, and getting through a divorce. And I'm not sure you ever get through a divorce, um, but I have to go back to where I was uh, 20 years ago, not in a church, not connected anywhere, not really seeking God's will for my life. Um, really living a life that revolved around me and what I wanted to do and that selfish attitude probably is what contributed mostly to my divorce. Uh, the business, uh, how I raised my kids, how I treated my ex-wife really didn't have anything to do with honoring uh, her or, or my children. It had to do with what I wanted to do in life. For me, um, my journey of divorce, um, when I think about it, I, I just think of pain. I was married the first time for 10 years, and um, after 10 years, um, we really just found ourselves in two different places. I know people say you drift apart, but really that's kind of what happened in our marriage. Um, we didn't have any common goals. We didn't really have common direction. My life was all about my kids, and um, I was happy and content with that. But my ex-husband had his hobbies and things that he did that um, kind of made us go in two different directions and when you don't have God at the center of your marriage and common direction and um, growth um, you tend to go different different places so when you find yourself you know in two different places um, you can make some some bad decisions that um, you're not real proud of and I think we both did that and ultimately that led to our decision to divorce when you're in the midst of deciding to divorce, um, what I remember most is I was worried about being happy. That was my main goal. I, I didn't think that my marriage was making me happy and I felt like I deserved to be happy. And so happy was what I was gonna find. <laughs> and so if that's your goal, your, your only goal is to be happy, you're not gonna achieve that. And that happiness goal speaks into the, the selfish nature of where I think we both were in our marriages at the time, where you're so concerned with your internal happiness or your internal happiness that uh, you'll believe anything. And we almost convinced ourselves that the divorce was going to be best for the kids, uh, knowing now that a divorce is very traumatizing to kids. And my ex-wife and I were so sure that we were going to have one of those amicable divorces uh, we bought into the lies that uh, you can be happier, you can do better, those sort of things. That We actually went away and planned how we were going to tell the kids, when we would have the kids, who would get what in the house, and we weren't going to argue or fight over anything. And we came back and we sat the kids down around a table just like this, and we told them that we were going to get a divorce. And what makes that day so hard to remember is it was on one of our daughter's birthdays. That gives you a level of where we were selfish-wise. So as far as uh, amicable divorce, I did not have one of those. Um, it's hard because someone you considered a confidant and a friend um, 
somehow gets turned into probably your worst enemy. And um, the battle um, between your stuff and your money and most importantly your kids really takes its toll on everyone. And um, there's pain and suffering that um, has lasted for years for us because of that. And um, when you're in the midst of it, you just, you don't recognize um, the effect that it's having on your kids. Um, but over the years, we've really gotten to see and hear a lot of the pain. They use words like helpless, despair, anger, pain, hopelessness, division, sadness, jealousy, all words that just cut us to the core when the whole time we think we're trying to blend this great family together, but internally they're all struggling with emotions of their own. For me, going through a divorce is really scary. It's isolating um, and you really don't know where you're going to land. For me, I just felt like a failure. I had let my kids down and I had these three beautiful little girls and because my priorities were focused on myself, I didn't give them the importance that they should have had. I didn't give my ex-wife the importance that she should have had. Because of my selfishness, I just felt like a failure. I feel like I failed as a father. I feel like I failed as a husband. And as a result, I ended up failing in business as well. And it's only really, I think, by the grace of God and, and finding a great church home like Mountain and getting the kids connected and getting connected ourselves and then really learning about what a biblical marriage is like. I began to learn what it meant to uh, put God first in my life and not live my life in a way uh, that revolved around myself. And that changed the way I looked at my life and how to be a husband, how to be a father, uh, how to run a business and things like that. And through that process and meeting Cindy, God began to do a work in our family. So I'm not sure exactly how that video lands with each individual here. I think there are probably a wide variety of reactions. And I'm keenly aware of and challenged by the fact that I'm speaking to a lot of different people today, even some different sort of subgroups, um, one of which is those who have been through divorce or multiple divorces. And if if that's you, I want you to know, I'm going to kind of circle back around to you in a few minutes, and I just want you to know that God has some great news that I hope you'll hear today. Another group that we need to acknowledge in the room is uh, good and healthy marriages, okay? We need to just take a moment and say that there are many of these, and in many of these even in this community, and sometimes such a dismal picture gets painted of marriage, you know, the, the media... The, um, the, you know, pop culture, the, the stories that we tell. It's so easy for us to just talk about the, the disasters and the bad marriages. You know, we very quickly tell those horror stories, but we don't often or loudly enough tell the stories of great marriages. Those that are, that are just pointing people toward God. Those where you have a couple that's not just blessing each other, but they're, they're, through what they're doing together, they're blessing everyone that crosses their path. And I just want to say, if you're one of those, I thank God for you. And I pray continued blessing on your marriage that you would, yeah, you, I agree. We should clap. Clap for those marriages because God has given you what, what you have for a reason. And it's a blessing to be a blessing. So maybe you need to step up and be a mentor. Maybe you need to lead a small group. But don't hog the ball. Please share what you have and show other people what a Christ-centered marriage looks like. 
Another group is maybe sort of the outside observers, somebody who wouldn't, wouldn't call themselves a Christian, who's just visiting or curious about what we have to say about this. You just wound up here one way or another. Maybe you're skeptical, and, you know, who could blame you, really? There are a lot of young people, Christian or not, who are wondering if marriage is even worth considering. If it is so statistically likely to fail, if, if the only marriages you've ever seen up close were just terrible and awful, you know, maybe you're wondering if this, if this idea is even relevant anymore. Maybe it's just this old, old news kind of thing. Um, I have a lot of friends who in the past or even now are living together and not married, and hardly any of them, none of them that I know of are, you know, anti-marriage. They're trying to destroy marriage, but they're just trying to be practical. They're like, this is, this is just kind of irrelevant for us. We don't get it. Um, we're just going to skip it. You know, maybe God was wrong, or maybe it's kind of passed him by, or maybe there is no God, so who cares, right? And if you're one of those people that's here and you're listening and you're, you're investigating, I just want to say good for you. Thank you for being here. And I pray that the living God will, sh- will show you some of the truth of what, what God really has to say about his perspective on marriage and divorce. And I hope you'll also go back and check out last week's message when we talked about marriage as well. We're also talking today to those who are in difficult marriages. I know there's people hearing my voice right now, who are seriously considering divorce or already in that process. And so we asked Rob and Cindy what they would say to someone who finds themselves in that place of struggle considering divorce. So take a, take a look at what they had to say about that. In, in times of struggle, I think it's important um, to remember the true meaning of love. If we look in Corinthians, we're reminded that love is patient and it's kind um, and it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, right, Ralph? Good thing. <laughs> and um, I think that we have to look at ourselves and our life and, you know, are, are you a wife that is kind and is patient? And are you a husband that's not keeping record of wrongs or yes. not being prideful? <laughs> um, you know, because that's what love is. Love is not, you know, starry-eyed, kissing all the time. Right, Rob? <laughs> we had a really good definition of uh, the true meaning of love one time during one of our couples group, and it was the idea of sacrificing your right to be offended. Too often, I would say in my previous life, I wanted to keep track of every offense and get justice and, and do all those things. But sacrificing your right to be offended is just doing that. It really is loving your spouse and choosing to forgive them for whatever has happened. And modeling that in our home, I think, has helped us uh, build a family unit or build a family bond a little more. Sometimes divorce seems like um, the easy way out. And for me, it actually was a, a, a door that opened up just a, a whole new level of pain that I didn't even know was possible. So I think if I had some advice, I would gently want to remind them of their marriage vow. Um, and their marriage vow was for better and for worse. And you make that promise because there's going to be some worse. <laughs> right, honey? <laughs> and sometimes, you know, you only see the better in everybody else, but you see the worse in your own marriage. I would encourage them to fight for their marriage. Um, Try to um, lift up your spouse's positive traits and try to push down their negative traits, minimize that. 
Um, sometimes when we're struggling, the, the negative traits look really big. And sometimes they look so big, it's the only thing you can see. And you focus on that, and, and that, can, that can ruin a marriage. So, you know, the worst is going to come. There are going to be tough times. That's where faith and commitment and your promise um, has to shine through. One of the things I'd like to share with people now uh, who are struggling in their marriage is just begin praying. Uh, get in the Word of God. Spend some time seeking God. It's seeking God like you've never uh, sought Him out before. Just being in the Bible on a regular basis, being in prayer with your spouse on a regular basis uh, will strengthen your marriage, guaranteed. Uh, God doesn't like divorce, and I'm not sure that's the answer you ever want to have uh, in your life. I would seek counsel, uh, professional counsel, counsel of people who have wa walked the path already before you, and then make sure you stay connected. Find a good small group, a couples group, people who are gonna ask the tough questions, hold you accountable to date nights, hold you accountable uh, to spending time with your spouse. I think ultimately the only thing that's gonna help is dying to self and just giving up your right to be happy and seek holiness, seek God, seek prayer, be in the word, uh, do the things that will honor him, and then in turn, you will be blessed. So you heard some great stuff there. Sacrificing your right to be offended, dying to self, giving up your right to be happy all the time, staying connected, fighting for and not just in your marriage. That is some wise, wise counsel and learn the hard way. Well, Rob said God doesn't like marriage. And one of the things I have to absolutely say today, you have to hear me say this, is God hate. I'm sorry, God doesn't like divorce, not marriage. <laughs> God hates divorce. He doesn't just not like it. And if you think that's me putting, kind of putting words in God's mouth, it's not. He says it flat out. In, uh, to one of his prophets in Malachi 2.16, it says this, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Jesus actually addressed this topic directly. Um, we don't always get that. But Jesus talked about divorce. He, in Mark chapter 10, he says, some, uh, some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful? For a man to divorce his wife? He says, well, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. You can find similar stuff in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19. This is what Jesus and the New Testament say about divorce. Do not do it. It's, a, it's an awful sin. You know, people then and now come to Jesus looking for loopholes and excuses and, you know, what about this, though? But Moses said this. But Jesus, he does what he always does. He calls everyone to a higher standard. And he doesn't mince words. He doesn't sugarcoat. He just says, I hate divorce like my Father in Heaven hates divorce. I hate it. It is a sin, and you need to do everything in your power to avoid it. One of the problems here is that we, the church, 
the collective voice of Christians, at least in this country, I think it's clear that we, we no longer hate divorce. Now, every single individual that I've ever been in conversation with who has gone through a divorce, who has been a part of it in any real way, they hate it. Viscerally, deeply, they hate it. But on the whole, we've gotten pretty comfortable with it. We've accepted it. It's, we treat it like it's that one crazy family member that, you know, is just there. They just do that. Like, we hear a story of another family being destroyed. And we're like, oh, that's just crazy old uncle divorce again, you know, just doing what he does. You know, what, what are you going to do? Bless his heart. We just shake our heads and carry on. We, until divorce touches my life directly, I, I'm kind of like, eh, you know, it happens, you know, part of life. It's a bummer. But that is wrong. That, that kind of complacency is a victory for Satan. It is a symptom of our individualism run wild. It is a symptom of our loss of true community and of our just cozy kind of ambivalence towards certain sins. And we need to get back to the place where we are more shocked, more sad and, and brokenhearted when we hear about marriage's ending. We need to let it move us again and move us to act to prevent it and to help each other headed off at the pass. Here's an interesting thing. <clears throat> a lot of Christians actually do get pretty fired up on certain other topics related to the sanctity of marriage. You know, maybe we get really upset when certain people want to marry certain other people and we rant and rave about how we have to protect the holy institution of marriage, which Scripture defines as one man, one woman, one life. But I'm just telling you, the world out there hears us yelling and screaming about this, and they are legitimately confused. They say, wait, 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 like, so you supposedly care so much about marriage. You're going to tell, you want to tell other people who can and can't get married, and yet aren't you the people who run around getting married and divorced and remarried as many times as you want and act like it is just not a big deal? It's totally fine. Isn't that, isn't that who you are? And so now you're going to sit here and tell me that you're the arbiters and the guardians of the holy, sacred institution of marriage? Like, how does that work? And they roll their eyes, and they hit mute, and they cast us off, write us off as hypocrites, and they carry on with their business, and they have a point. I believe we cannot legitimately say that we love marriage if we don't also hate divorce. We just can't. So if all of that is true, we've got to do a lot more fighting for our marriages before we give up. We have to take the commandments of Scripture very seriously when they say things like forgive over and over and over and over and over. Go the extra mile. Take up your cross daily. Die to yourself. Keep no record of wrongs and a hundred others like that. If, you, you know, if you're no longer in the honeymoon phase of your marriage, which is a short little phase, you're in the commitment phase. Okay, that's where most of marriage is spent. Way more of marriage is spent in Ephesians 5 than in Song of Songs. Okay, Song of Songs says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. No wonder the young women love you. Take me with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. We, we would love for all of marriage to be there, right? Say amen if you want. But it's, that's not... The majority of marriage, the majority of marriage has more to do with this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's real life. Marriage is difficult. 
It requires great sacrifice. And if you find yourself in the middle of the struggle, you need to know today that you do not have to quit, no matter how many people tell you that you do. We have resources to help. We have pastoral counseling. We have a course called Fit to be Tied. We have a course called a uh, great group called Marriage Oneness. We have small groups led by people like the Arsenals. And, you know, we have the church. The community is, is the greatest one, perhaps. We, friends who will speak the truth to you, who will point you back to the challenging truths of Scripture. You are not the only one, and you do not have to feel alone. It is probably not too late to save your marriage, no matter how bad it has gotten, no matter how messed up it is. You've got to know that today. Ask yourself, have you tried everything? Have you taken divorce off the table and said, this is not an option? You know, in sports, we love, to, we love the athletes. We say they, they left it all on the field. They left it all on the floor. Right? We, we like the, the guys and the gals who we can say, you know, they didn't, they didn't hold anything back. They gave their all. They can, they can walk away at the end of that game knowing they, they gave it all. And I want to ask you, are you doing that in your marriage or are you still holding something back? Have you really decided to love that other person like Jesus loves the church? Because it's not too late. All right, let's take a deep breath and, and listen to what Rob and Cindy have to say on one other thing, which is what would you say to people uh, who've already gone through a divorce? If you are on the other side or in the midst of all the pain and the, and the suffering, um, God has been just full of grace for us and our family. And He has gently blended our family together and we're not perfect <laughs> at all. And there is a lot of pain that still, um, you know, lingers and pops its ugly head up and, and it's something that we have to deal with um, a lot. It doesn't go away. So, um, but in the midst of that, um, you know, when we, we did ask our kids about some of the, the words that they would describe divorce and they, they did have all the words that Rob mentioned earlier, but they also said blessing and thankfulness. I don't think for the divorce, but I think it's for what God's done afterwards. And he, he's done a good work um, in our life and and we're thankful. Divorce isn't what God intended for marriage. But Romans 8.28 says God will use all things for those who love Him and He can redeem anything. And it's just been a blessing to watch Him blend our families together. And like Cindy said, it's not perfect and it's hard and there will be difficult conversations. But hearing our children share some of the good words on the other side of divorce uh, was encouraging even for us uh, to continue doing what we've been doing. And just remember that God does offer forgiveness. And I think another thing that um, divorce produces is a lot of guilt. And so I would encourage you to accept God's forgiveness and to um, focus on honoring Him. And if you're single, I wouldn't be in a hurry to get remarried again. I was shocked to learn what the divorce rate is the second time around. As a matter of fact, if I knew it was 65%, I'm not sure I would have said yes to Cindy. <laughs> um, but 
I would get connected. Uh, I would grow. I would take the opportunity in your singleness to grow in your relationship with God. Uh, there are some great classes out there like Divorce Care. There are great communities of single Christians that are on a journey to grow in their relationship with the Lord. And I would take every opportunity to focus on that relationship before you would think about entering uh, another relationship at a serious level. Being a single parent is tough. I, I walk that walk for a while and it is hard and you feel alone. Um, but you're not alone and you do have a Heavenly Father who is there um, carrying you through that time. So if, if you are a single parent, I know it can and be lonely and you are tempted to jump right into another relationship, but what, what we know is that divorce breaks and hurts people and I would encourage you to focus on healing and allow God to do His redemptive work in your life. If you're a single parent, uh, I would encourage you to, to work on those broken relationships, kind of what Cindy was talking about. Not just yourself, but the relationship with your children. Uh, they're, they're hurt, they're in pain, and they're in a vulnerable place where you need to spend some time uh, growing in your relationship with them. That can happen through the local church. That can happen by getting plugged in, helping your kids get plugged in, helping them have an opportunity to work on themselves. Yeah, and my encouragement would be um, when you are trying to co-parent with a divorced parent, um, you're still on the same team. Even though you're separated or, you know, divorced, you're still on the same team. These are your children. Um, I would encourage you to be loving and to not be enemies and not to fight in front of these kids. They, it, it, it hurts them for, for a long time. Uh, one of the things that Cindy and I had to learn uh, with all the new issues that you're walking through with a remarriage and a blended family is uh, you don't want to fight in front of the kids. You want to figure out uh, what the core issue is, get yourself behind closed doors and come out of that room uh, as a united front. Uh, one of the things we've done in the divorce is we've rocked the very foundation of our kids. So this time around, you want to make sure that we're coming together as, uh, as a united, as one. So I think grace um, is the key. Um, God has offered us so much grace and forgiveness, and I think we have to work toward offering it to our exes, our current spouse, um, our children, um, our blended families, and ultimately ourselves. Yeah, we've been forgiven, and the grace that we now have offered to us has been transformational as we blend our families together and seek to honor God in all that we do. So the, the first thing that demands a comment coming out of that clip is that Rob alluded to saying yes to Cindy, and I'm like, yeah, right, Rob. <laughs> Dream on, buddy. Does anybody else believe that's the way that went down? But seriously, that is some more really challenging truth for us there. I already talked about how God hates divorce, and whenever we remind ourselves of that, we also need to say a couple of balancing statements. One of them is this, sometimes it can't be avoided. Now, often it can, very, very much more often than we tend to think, divorce can be avoided. But sometimes it really can't. Sometimes it is the lesser of two evils. Sometimes in this fallen, sinful world, it's the right choice even. For example, abusive situations. If you are in an abusive situation, if you are being abused, if you are in an unsafe situation, you need to get out. 
Hear me saying that very clearly, and we want to help you do that. You know, sometimes I've seen it. One person has, as much as humanly possible, they have done the thing, the right things. They have loved and served and prayed and gotten help and gone the extra mile. And the other person just is done. They've quit on the marriage. And it, ultimately, it takes two to tango. You know, you can, one person cannot hold a marriage together forever. You know, sometimes we sort of substitute one evil for another. I, I really admire how our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters take certain issues very seriously, divorce being one of them. They really do a better job, it seems, of taking it off the table as an option. But sometimes Satan can even twist that. When we lived in Mexico and worked with college students, uh, it was amazing how common of a story this was. A student we'd be working with in their 20s, they would discover that their dad had a secret family in another town. Uh, I, some of them even had siblings their same age that they had never met before. And when you start to see things like that, that's obviously not God's solution to not getting divorced, right? That is, a, that is a, an overly focused, a person who is so focused on the rules of religion but has totally lost sight of the lordship of Jesus. That's not what we're talking about. God hates divorce, but it is not the only thing that God hates. He also hates abuse and ongoing suffering and marriages from hell and secret side families in other towns. God hates evil in all of its manifestations, and we are supposed to be like God. Romans 12.9 says, Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Another thing we need to say is that God hates divorce, but God loves us. Do not hear me saying that God hates divorced people or any people. God does not hate any person. That is the reason why He hates divorce. Because of the damage it does to His beloved children that he created, the damage it does to our relationship with him and to his holy name. God hates divorce, but God loves you. He loves you. Even if you've been divorced, even if you've been divorced a bunch of times, even if you, if it was mostly your fault, even if you are the reason, the main reason that somebody else got divorced, even if you're getting divorced right now, you need to hear me saying that God loves you deeply and unconditionally. Please do not buy the lies that get told to divorce people like you're worthless now or you're somehow worth less than you were before. That is not true. That is not who you are. Your identity is a child of God and his beautiful creation and masterpiece. And no matter how dirty or broken, he wants to heal you and cleanse you and restore you. Don't buy the lie that you should settle for less in future relationships of any kind. Okay, that is not true. Your standards need to go up. They need to go way up. You know, as Rob said, you should not buy the lie that you need to rush back into another relationship. That is the worst thing you could do. You need to spend some real time and energy working on you and God before that even ever becomes an option. None of this is going to be easy. But again, we have tons of resources to help. I want you to see the church as your ally in the struggle. Stop by the connecting corner or the welcome desk today. We ask about things like pastoral counseling, divorce care. Divorce Care for Kids, those are really great groups. The Smart Step Family Study, the books that we have. Get in a small group. Go to a mid-sized group where you will have real people who will tell you the truth, who will help hold you accountable to making good decisions. Remember that God is really the ultimate resource that we all need. All these other things just point us back to Him in different ways. I want to challenge you today to do your part. Take a next step forward on the path of reconciliation, restoration between you and God between you and your true best self, between you and every other human being, including your ex. 
Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone. And I want to challenge you today to cling to the promise that our God is one who makes beautiful things out of even our worst messes when we repent and submit our lives to Him. In Christ, we are people of hope. And there's a verse in Joel that uh, I know has meant a lot to Rob and Cindy and to a lot of other people. This, uh, listen to this, Joel 2.25. This is God saying, He says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have devoured. You know, sometimes this repayment happens as you live now in the next part of your life as a, as a single person, a celibate person, who's really just focused on another level on your relationship with God. Sometimes, and I think you really, really, really have to wrestle through those texts in Matthew and Mark and hold them in context of all Scripture and the grace of God, who is a God of second chances, but taking the words of Jesus very seriously, maybe, like in the Arsenal's case, your next chapter will you'll be repaid for the years the locusts have devoured through a fresh start with another maturing Christ follower. Sometimes, like in the Bagley story from last week, maybe you will actually remarry that same person that you divorced before. That, that was a beautiful thing. You know, it's different every time, but our, our God loves to do what he always does. He brings order from chaos. He brings beauty from ashes. And so I want to leave you with this question. You've already heard it alluded to a bunch of times in those clips. What if God's goal for your marriage is not to make you happy, but to make you holy? A big part of the problem is that we have put happiness on the throne. We've made it the goal. And we Americans in particular, we love this. We love us some life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? It's our right. But just because something is my right does not mean it's a great idea. And it certainly doesn't mean that it's worthy to be my life's chief pursuit. When happiness becomes the goal, we wind up with a culture of disposable relationships. We wind up with a culture of deep insecurity. When happiness is the goal, we actually hear real people in our church say things like, well, you know, if they aren't making you happy, just move on. We hear people say things like, I just want to go ahead and be done with this current, my crappy first marriage so I can go on to this awesome second, you know, wonderful second marriage that God has waiting for me like Rob Arsenal. And if you are someone who thinks like that, please do two things. Schedule a meeting with Rob to tell him that. And call me so I can be there and watch. <laughs> because that's a lie from the pit of hell. That, that is Satan doing what he does best. Taking a little bit of truth and twisting it into a devastating lie. When happiness becomes a goal, we get really cozy and comfortable with divorce and all kinds of other sins. So what if God's goal for our marriages, what if God's goal for all of us, for all of life, for all of this whole painful, complicated, amazing, tragic messy, excruciating, ridiculous, wonderful adventure known as the human experience. What if his goal for us was never for us to be happy all the time, but for us to be holy? That actually makes a lot of sense to me. When I think about the stories that I love that touch me deeply and move me, they're never the little trite, little happy ending fairy tale stories. They're the stories that are full of anguish and also full of hope. I think about my two little daughters and I know... I know that if I make it my goal to always make them happy, I will ruin them. But if my goal is to help them become holy and live lives pleasing to God, I have a real chance of loving them well and doing my duty as their father. 
I look at my wife Erin and I know that if our goal, if my goal and her goal is just to be as happy as we can be all the time, we will slowly destroy each other. But if our goal is to help each other be holy, we will cling to our vows, we will be a part of something beautiful, and we will have joy and peace thrown in to boot. I look at my Lord and Savior Jesus, and if his goal in his earthly life had been happiness, he probably never would have shown up on the planet in the first place. But if he had, he still certainly would not have gone to a cross for us. And I thank God that his goal was not happiness, but holiness. Wherever you are with regard to divorce, guilty of it, victim of it, headed toward it, indifferent to it, numb about it, confused by it, I pray that today you will turn your eyes upon Jesus. You will let him tell you who you are, and you will let him show you the next step that you need to take forward. Let's pray in his name right now. God, I thank you so much for great marriages, for those examples and reminders that we need. May we see more and more of those among us. I pray for skeptics, for young people, questioning whether it's even worth it. Show them the truth about marriage. I pray for those who are struggling and considering divorce. I pray that you would give them the courage and the clarity and the community to hold fast to their covenant vows. I pray for those who are in danger. I pray for their safety and that you would give them the courage to make tough decisions. I pray for those who've been divorced, that you would heal and restore and give back what the locusts have devoured and even more. And for all of us, God, I pray that you would make us holy, set apart, light in the darkness, for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.